Hi, I'm Jory, and I'm playing Zeke the fighter, and it's good to be here. I'm Jesse. I play Sylvie the rogue, and it's good to be here. Hi, my name is Eli. I play Jolie the cleric, and it's good to be here. What's up? It's me, the DM for this season. Jordan, you already know what it is, Realmers. Let's get it going. Many merchants of... <laughs> Session one, baby. This is the season of long and short, you can tell. Starting, starting, starting. Vince? Now, now, yeah, now, now, me. now. One, two, three, four, many merchants of Maloon. I'm so excited. and welcome to the latest campaign of Many Realms, a D&D 5e adventure, The Many Merchants of Malone, DM'd by myself, Jordan. To set the stage for this season, I wanted to give a bit of context to our story. Malone is a large continent and the setting for the many merchants of Malone. Malone is an island continent that is quite inaccessible to the other parts of the world. The outskirts of the island are constantly buffeted by storms to a degree that no sailor with half a mind dares venture to the landmass, save for the two months of the year, where it subsides enough for the import and export of goods. A time often referred to by locals as the coastal eclipse due to the more generous amounts of sunlight that also come during this time. As a result, every year is a mad scramble of commerce in this small window of time. Though, in recent years, the storms have grown worse as murmurs of the calamity have begun to rest on the edge of many people's tongues. The calamity is an alleged impending disaster foretold by dwarves when they arrived in Maloon from across the ocean. It is believed that it will be a world-ending event, leveling the entirety of Maloon in its awake. This grim news, carried from lands far away by strangers, has been met with a wide array of reactions. On one end, people cast an extreme doubt, believing the news to be dubious and opportunistic from foreigners. On the other hand, many people believe that with the calamity coming straight towards them, their only possible hope is to flee east across the road to Astra in hopes that the mysterious capital city of Astra will have some way to stave off the destructive power of the calamity. Few descriptions of the calamity itself have been recounted. The most common among them is that it is a great and wild tempest stretching into the sky and blackening it, but none have seen the inside of the calamity. Our story begins in Soleil, a small coastal port town in which resides our cast of characters, each of them a merchant of some form or another. A town in which many other business-savvy individuals far and wide hawk their wares during the coastal eclipse. You would think it a normal place at a normal time, but sometimes is the most 
unassuming of places that the most grand tales unfold. We open on midday. The entirety of the town of Soleil gathers at its well-maintained port. The streets line rooftops with agile children navigating their wet tile to get a view. A view of a colossal inky black storm cloud obscuring the horizon. To some, it would be an otherwise unsatisfying and depressing sight. But to the denizens of Soleil, and more notably yourselves, you know it to be much more. A massive gust of wind from the distance pierces your ears like a whip cracking the air. Then, all at once, the dark cloud that encases the island splits, parting down the middle. Brilliant, direct sunlight dances with the glaze of water all across the town, speckling everything that could be seen with a brilliant, moving light. Then, through the light, silhouettes of magnificently large ships weathered and battered halls telling the journey of their story even from this great distance. They sail towards you, heading straight to port. Today is the first day of the coastal eclipse, the brief period where the treacherous storms that encase Maloon part, allowing for merchants and sailors to make port in select places. One of these places is where you live, Soleil. The ships sail towards you, becoming larger and larger against the now clear horizon. Everyone's gathered around. This is like a big event for you all. This, these are strangers that come not so often. The entirety of the town is usually gathered for this. And they'll be here within the hour. Um, so I think in preparation for this, as the uh, town blacksmith, um, Zeke, I think, has spent the last several weeks, if not months, preparing for this. This is probably one of the biggest times of the year for him. So Zeke is the father of two twin daughters, Nomi and Hilda. They are a family of halflings and they work in a local smithery. Smithsonian. Nope, right. Smithery is... Uh, they work with the local Smithsonian. <laughs> That's cool. There's nothing else. Nothing has ever been named that. Um, so they work at the Smithsonian. Uh, Zeke is a halfling. He has uh, gray hair. He wears glasses, round glasses, and um, is a middle-aged, about 45, and his daughters are about 17. Um and the three of them are maybe frantically making sure all the wares are set up. Uh, one of the things that um, the Smithsonian sells, because I don't think in um, Soleil we're actually like going around doing a lot of fighting. Not so many people leave Soleil to my understanding. So it's not like um, besides like maybe a town guard or anything. There's like a lot of like adventurers, like coming in and out, buying like practical weaponry. A lot of what he sells is for nobility, um, like swords that are more intricate than practical, um, jewelry, keys and locks, stuff like that. So they're setting up their stand, their store beautifully. Um, and he is 
anxiously awaiting the arrival of the the boats. Uh, Off to the side of the crowd, there is a scene unfolding, a quite literal one, as Sylvie and her troop perform a play to garner the attention and coinage of the people of Soleil. There is... um, Paz is a musician who is gangly with a cloud of hair and dark glasses, plucking on some uh, exotic stringed instrument. And in front of him, Fabio, barrel-chested, wavy dark hair, is giving a monologue as a ship's captain sailing across the dangerous coasts of Maloon. And Sylvie, their leader, emerges a vision with tan skin, uh, big red hair, and uh, diaphanous shining skirts, portraying the role of some kind of mermaid or siren about to uh, romance this leading man and presumably the crowd eats it up and I get a million dollars. Yeah, can we get some of that though? Yeah. Um, Sailing across the sea is dangerous to all, but I, Captain Lucky Boots, shall make the voyage. Well, Sylvie's not much of an actress. She she will turn wide to the crowd and say, now's my chance to find fortune and love. But really her thing is dancing and she moves out and she starts spinning her skirts. They have little, um, little uh, jangling chimes sewn into the ends of them. So they jingle pleasantly as she moves and she whips up quite a frenzy with her dancing. Um, nearby, also in the merchant's quarter, um, Jolie is getting ready. Jolie is a cheesemonger, very passionate about it. Her wife, Diane, is um, like an on and off adventurer. And so I think Jolie picked up like healing spells in the life domain to patch up her wife. um, Who like flits in and out and is just like a breeze, basically. And that's kind of what's happening right now is that Jolie is getting ready for the merchants to arrive and... um, Diane is somewhat helping her, but I think they both know that the second the merchants arrive, Diane is going to leave and look for like a nice bottle of Cabernet Sauvignon. <laughs> is that yeah, fantasy that's... cab sav? Sure. Yeah. Um, and so Jolie is kind of like a, a nervous wreck right now a little bit um, or a little frazzled. Um, and that kind of fits the way she looks because she looks like your favorite hippie English teacher. She has like a curly cloud of like brown reddish hair. Um, my IP is freckles. So she has freckles, uh, huge oversized glasses. Yeah. Um, picturing sort of like professor Trelawney. She looks like you want to tell her all your secrets. Um, and she acts like that too. She's pretty warm. Um, she, you know, like knows Zeke's daughters and is, is like warm to them as well. Wonderful. The ships have now, as you'd anticipate, as you are all preparing for their arrival, ready to hawk your various wares, as you've all anticipated, this is perhaps where you'd make the majority of your cash uh, for the year. So it's pretty important as as salesmen of various types to uh, get that uh, foreign coin in your pocket and boost up that economy of Maloon. And the ships arrive at ports. There's eight large ships, probably able to carry somewhere in the realm of 30-ish passengers each. And it's, your docks are at capacity. These are, (laughs) there are people filing out shoulder to shoulder because you already have the entirety of your town and now another 
240 passengers that are coming in. And much like how the clouds themselves parted earlier, you notice the crowd of people are also parting. Quite being shoved out of the way by a variety of uh, more hulking denizens of Soleil. Uh, less important to you, but more important to you is the individual in the middle, and you would all recognize him as Tulip. Who comes barreling down towards these ships to meet the people that are getting off. He says, All right, clear the way, clear the way. Tulip, Tulip here. Well, I'll skip the introductions. You all know, you come here year upon year. My doors are always open to you. Right this way, right this way, right this way. A bunch of the faces of these individuals light up at the sight of Tulip, a very familiar face from year upon year visiting here. Uh, he is the sole owner of Tulip's Tavern, which is at this point in Soleil after a number of years, the only place for these people to stay. So whether it is they actually like Tulip or they just have to pretend to like Tulip, it doesn't really make a difference because otherwise they don't have a place to rest their heads. He hosts virtually all of these people. Some stay on the outskirts of town if they can't afford to stay in his tavern, but he puts up about 200 people at any given time during the coastal eclipse. So he... <laughs> is probably winning on the end of things in terms of making money at this time. He parts them and he takes five or so what you'd presume to be VIPs along with him and walks away towards his tavern. Jolie. A plump man walks up and this one that you recognize. Okay. You may not know his name, but he's come and bought from you years prior. A bit of a cheese connoisseur, if you will. Yeah. And he says, you cheese girl, here I am again, and I am wanting my cheese. What do you have for me this year? Uh, okay. I don't like this guy. <laughs> he just like wants him? cheese. <laughs> Sorry he's not hot about it. <laughs> of course. Um, I, you know, we'll catch up after that, but I have such a wonderful selection for you. Um, and Jolie is the type to like give little bit of samples. She knows this guy's a huge buyer, so she'll give a lot of samples. So she has like, um, let's say like eight different test cheeses and she'll let him take a slice of each. Um, take, gives him little toothpicks and says, now I know that you like it, um, you know, a little bit smokier and you prefer your hard cheeses with more robust flavor. So I am going to let you taste all of them, but these four are, you know, the ones yes, that yes, I yes, 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 you. yes, yes. He puts the first one in his mouth. <clears throat> and he reaches into his pocket and he pulls out a handkerchief and he spits it into the handkerchief and he grabs the next one. And he puts it in. That's what you're supposed to do. <laughs> Yeah, I guess she's just getting the, yeah. Get the bucket. <laughs> yeah. 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 yeah the bucket. She's about to <laughs> He spits that one out and he says, Oh, mighty fine selection this year. <laughs> it's the next one. And he goes. <laughs> now I know cheese is supposed to be aged, but this is moldy. I think people who might, um, who might know Jolie might have been able to recognize like the slightest twitch in her eye. Um, but she keeps her, like, customer service What do you have to say for yourself? I'm 
so sorry it's not to your liking, sir. And she, uh, with like her own handkerchief, takes it away and is like, I will also take this one off the table if it's not to your liking. And then just hands him the next one. To my liking. Girl, I'm saying you are trying to poison me here upon my arrival in this fine town. I come but once a year. And this is the selection you have for me at a full year to make it to make it better. And he slams the cheeses, slams him, boom, slams a whole wheel of your cheese on the ground. Okay. I think Jolie is the type to be like patient until she's not. Like she doesn't start showing her uh, irritation, it'll just appear. Um, she calmly like picks up. Are you okay? I don't like the customer service simulator. <laughs> I feel you, I feel you. She picks up the cheese very calmly, um, puts it back on the table, kind of puts it away from the edge so he can't like knock it over like an angry cat and is like, sir, I'm sorry you don't like the cheese. Usually you do, but I will inform you that cheese is mold. And this, let me tell you, is one of the finest fucking cheeses that we can offer you, okay? <laughs> Do you know how long this has aged? And no, there is not any bad mold on it. There is mold because it is cheese. It is mold. And if you can't get over that, you are not a true cheese lover. Are you trying to tell me I know nothing of cheese, cheese girl? Not you are from this backwater town. I am from, oh, I have, I've eaten cheeses on every continent around the world and I come here. And let me tell you, yeah, it is always among the worst, but this year, this year, it is the lowest. It is, it is, it is plummeted to a, to, to a degree that is simply unacceptable. I, I, he's smacked across the face and he plummets into the wet, wet dirt face full of mud next to you. Next to him, standing tall is Roddy the port warden of Soleil. She simply says, well, that's about enough of that. And then she leaves. Well, that was cool <laughs> as fuck. What the fuck? You know, sometimes you get fantasy cheese Anthony Bourdain and sometimes you get fantasy cheese Gordon Ramsay. <laughs> and it's tough. <laughs> what is this guy doing now? He's in the ground. Is he just kind of reeling? Uh, he's he's presently unconscious with a face full of mud. Oh, so he can't hear me because he's unconscious. Yeah. I think Jolie just chuckles and is like, cheese so good it'll knock you out. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, so are you at like a stand or are you just standing there with it? Uh, I think it's like she works at a shop, like maybe a, a butcher shop that like allows her to share the rent space. Right. Um, and she is like standing near like not outside? at the counter because the butcher has agreed to sell both but she's standing outside like yeah like bringing people has like in a little stand samples. kind of like yeah, outside yeah, yeah, okay yeah. you see uh, just one finger pop out from the stand okay and you peer over and there is a young boy bright blue eyed staring up at you and he just keeps pushing his one finger towards you doesn't say anything I don't think this kid can afford anything, so I'm not going to, like, put on the spiel and be like, <laughs> if you could only pick one. But, like, he wants one. I'll give him one. And I pick him, um, like, a soft goat cheese that I think a kid would like. It's pretty subtle. It's a little a little sample on a toothpick. 
I say, it's sharp. <laughs> the toothpick not cheese. <laughs> <laughs> it's your good humor that wins you customers year after year, Jelly. I've always said. He puts it in his mouth and he gives you a thumbs up and he leaves the toothpick. He kind of is like sucking on the cheese, which is kind of interesting. And he just kind of marches away. So I have like a stall that like fully has my furnace, my forge in the back. And uh, on the front, uh, my daughters have set up like a few like samples and also I have a sign saying like, we'll take commissions, design something if you're here, like under X amount of time or whatever. And I'm kind of hanging out at the front waiting for people. My, my work is expensive. So I'm not here for quantity, like even like four or five people can probably get me a few months worth of money. Well, you actually do have a customer, one that is local to Soleil. <laughs> Before you stands, because you would know who this is, Dor. Dor is Tulip's right-hand dwarf, who um, is quite a feared presence in Soleil. Dor is uh, a man of very few words and a lot of action, let's say. He tends to mostly be inside of Tulip's Tavern. I mean, obviously he goes out and about um, when he has things to do or errands to run, but he literally stays there year round and is kind of like the prime security detail for there. So he walks up and he holds out an axe that's broken at the hilt. Mm. And he says, of all the times. This looks pretty rough, bud. It's not, not, not a difficult fix. I can get this to you. Within the, within the day, I just, after the big rush, I can do this for you after hours. I need it for tonight. Well, then I'll have to charge you full price because then you're taking away some uh, of the business from the uh, Eclipse. But I'm sure you understand. Charge it to Tulip. Gotcha. You have another customer arrive. Uh, one that we were just introduced to. Is it cheese? It's not cheese. <laughs> Port Warden Roddy. It comes up to you and and Dor, quite silently, unacknowledging of Dor and looking straight at your eyes. And she unsheaths her sword and presents it to you, kind of in more of like a for you to examine it way. And she's like, a little worse for wear. I think I could use a polish. I know it's a bad time of year, Zeke, but you understand. Of course. Uh, let me take a look. Can I identify what's wrong with it or like how long it'll take me to fix it? Um, yeah, well, there's nothing necessarily wrong with it. It's just like it's lost its edge. Yeah. So, I mean, for you, I mean, I feel like this would be a relatively... I am literally just sharpening it. Yeah. Both best and worst part of 5e. I need a perception. P -p 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 perception check. Jordan's ambivalent about them. <laughs> I like them. Oh, that didn't work. Okay. Uh, 17. Ooh, wonderful. You notice that, you know, you often have customers that come and clearly they don't talk to each other, but Dor and Roddy do, and you know that they know each other. One of the rumors around town that you would be aware of is that Dor and Roddy once had quite a uh, violent dispute um, in the center of town. And they kind of have this unspoken rule, it seems, where Dor is always at the tavern and Roddy, being the port warden, is at ports. 
kind of like uh, lines in the sand that aren't often crossed. You are uh, neutral ground. And though you are neutral ground, it's not every day that they both arrive at the same time. And so you are particularly aware in this moment of the awkward tension that is building between the two of them. Maybe awkward's actually generous, perhaps more of a rage that is bubbling up before you. Um, well, I do not want a fight to break out in my place of business. So I will say it to Brody. All right, this will be uh, whatever uh, regular prices for this. Um, what What's the money situation? Mm-hmm. Like, how much should I be charging? I guess the standard of like that would be literally one for just the sharpening because yeah. it's a pretty quick job. Now, fixing an axe. Two. Well, you. Well, you. you <laughs> well. Jory's cottoned on to the idea. She's some choices, though, because Dor said to just charge at the tulip, and you know tulip's quite flush. Oh, that's true. So you can charge anywhere from two to ten. I will do six. Okay. Six for the... I don't want him to be mad at me, you know? Okay, so you can mark those. Yeah. Okay, so I have seven. So, yeah, so I tell them the prices. I'm just kind of trying to be as professional and um, and brief as I can. Get a uh, door out the door first so that they aren't in the same room for too long. So, yeah, my goal is to uh, not stoke the flame of any any tension. So you kind of just take it and... Yeah. Okay. They don't acknowledge each other and go their separate ways and they'll be back uh, at presumably different times. Wow, great. Which is just wonderful. Um, one other piece of business, Jesse, for, uh, Sylvie and company tulip with one of his nondescript henchmen carrying a piece of wood come up to you. Tulip says, well, what a wonderful performance that you have today. Now I'll just cut to the chase. I need a favor tonight. You know, it's a big, big night for, for the tavern, as you know, And I really want to draw a crowd like none other this year, especially tonight. So what's it going to take for for you to point people in the direction? And then the henchman presents a sign that basically just says, I'm trying to think of like the medieval time of this, this (laughs) pizza, pizza, this way. Girl. <laughs> yes. Tulip, you're the only game in town. Why do you need to advertise? I'm sorry, were you not I want I want the the biggest crowd, everyone. Now yes, of course it goes without saying that I have the biggest John Town on account of well really having a monopoly on the entire thing, but oh, well call me greedy, but anything to cement that further. I'm willing to work with you, Tulip, but don't you think my most valuable skill set would be me and my troop on the stage in your tap room, driving the crowd into a very lucrative frenzy? Sylvie, um, while in terms of the talent that is present in Soleil, you are certainly titans among them, each and all. However, on the coastal eclipse, performers, artists of all kinds are brought from well, all around the world. And 
I mean, <laughs> surely you understand that Soleil, the people of Soleil, they just need some variety. Some, some, I mean, they say it's the spice of life. And I mean, who doesn't like a little bit of spice? These are tourists from around the globe. They're coming to Soleil to see a bit of our local color. And there's no one more colorful than us. Maybe tomorrow? Can I try to push him on this? Of course. Can I try to persuade him? Mm-hmm. And what, and what are you... What's the tactic that you want to use? Um, I, I do think that, yeah, if like, sure, they're, they're bringing entertainment in from abroad, but you have uh, tourists from abroad who want to see Soleil and want to see Maloon. We could do our spectacular history of Maloon pageant play mm-hmm. that tells the story of the dwarves. Oh, stinker. That's an 11. Oh, Oh, that's not bad. Yeah, but it's a natural four. Yeah, but that's a, I mean, that's a good modifier, you know. She's very persuasive. Um, he, he looks at you hard and he's like, uh, I'll tell you what, deer. She bats her eyes sarcastically at deer. <laughs> I'll, t- <laughs> I'll tell you what. If you do this for me, because it is a wonderful play, we'll entertain both sides. You can be the opening act. The opening act. Oh, you'll have plenty of time. It's just one night. We open and me and the boys drink for free after. Done. You can drink for free for a week. See you tonight. Tulip and the next night and the next. (laughs) Out stretches his hand. She spits in hers and shakes. Okay. Uh, we're going to flash forward a little bit here to the nights. Um, this is the first night of the Coastal Eclipse. It's a big occasion, as I've cited before. You know, it's also like in terms of business, obviously, this is one of those nights that even though there's a lot of frequenters, there's also always a batch of, you know, new people to to Maloon. Um, so in terms of procuring clients and et cetera, this would be like, one of the most important nights, which is also one of the reasons that it's bussing. I think that Jolie tries to sell her uh, like small batch wines uh, at Tulips. They have like a little thing going, so she has to be there often to like maintain the relationship. You're like a walking farmer's market. <laughs> well, I would, go, I would go as far as to say that, I mean, you're catering the event. Sick. It is the inaugural night of the coastal eclipse. This is perhaps one of the biggest nights of reverie that uh, Soleil has uh, each year. Um, Soleil being a town that is quite often buffeted by at least a light rain, a little spitting at all times, pretty much. It still would be a little bit spinning today, even here this, during the coastal eclipse, but it is still a bright day and that transitions to a boisterous night. Tulips Tavern. It's three total stories, uh, a, a, an absolute monument of architecture at this time. Uh, tor- tor- the torchlight inside dances, and every single table is lined up. Everyone is already a couple drinks deep, and it is a party as it is year upon year. We see Sylvie, Mander Troop up on the stage, beginning their opening act. 
I would say, I mean, Sylvie and her troupe can do plays. They're very like simple, pastoral, like crude plays and they're like touring kind of things. But if it's just like performing in a bar that's already lively, it's more dancing, it's more live music. Maybe Fabio has like ba basic circus trickery, some like juggling or like balancing of things. Trickery. <laughs> yeah, circus trickery. We like trickery. Okay, okay. opportunity then. Do you, do you like collect? Oh, that's the whole point. I think she's, Sylvie is like kind of belly dancing her way around the tables in this like really elaborate like golden costume. And she has this gold Play-Doh that she's like catching coins in as she like twirls and dips. Mm -hmm. It's the whole point is to make money. She's not like an artist for the love of it. <laughs> Fabio's doing a, a doing a drum at the back and, and Paz has his little like string instrument. And so the music's like picking up and spinning faster and faster and faster and like at one point, maybe during a crescendo, I like jump on some guy's table and like dance very suggestively. So there's on top a table that's like at the center. Yeah. So there's plenty of people that are in the corners where torchlight doesn't doesn't reach. But there's a giant chandelier uh, with all these nice, wonderful candles, perhaps of various colors, all at the center, and that is like the VIP table. Seated at it are the five individuals that you saw Tulip guide down to the tavern. So these are like the. They are the VIPs, and they sit there, their table just full of drinks upon drinks and half-eaten food, and they're just being catered to all night. I mean, they are the the hot person that you're like, these are, if I'm gonna get cash, yeah. these are the cash cows. It's, it's all wide smiles, fluttering eyelashes, low-cut costumes, and passing that plate around. And they've been around the world. Mm -hmm. And so at first, they, they're they only gonna put in like what is, you know, they're giving like a 5% tip type of, type of deal, you know? They're kind of like, yes, yes, and then they want to get back to their businessy business stuff. They're altogether not that interested um, in that. Yeah, uh, we, we've been together for a very long time as a troupe. We have a lot of routines kind of down pat. Um, I think if we are really trying to get these guys attention and just being the hottest fucking thing in Tulip's Tavern isn't working, um, <laughs> we could go the, the novelty route and we could bust out Kiki. Paz has a, a like weird pet rodent called Kiki. Mm -hmm. It's like, it's like a very fluffy squirrel kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, and it has these huge like webkins green eyes that are just like very compelling. And, um, I think if it's like, we need like the showstopper, then Paz is going to produce Kiki from her like little pouch that she rests in. She has an adorable costume on that matches mine. And she jumps into Fabio's hand. He launches her across the bar. And as I'm spinning, she lands like on my outstretched hand and races on my shoulders and like down onto the table and dances around for like 10 seconds. And then I pick her back up and take her back to Fabio. And who would not give me a fat fucking tip for that? I love them. Um, I'm, is it fair to call that animal handling? Well, I'd like to think of it as a performance because it's not a wild animal. I don't know. Okay, I'll give performance. Hey, that's a 24. Ooh, uh, <laughs> DC 26, sorry. Uh, These guys are foreign, okay? <laughs> They've seen it all. Wow, only one dancing squirrel thing? <laughs> How wow. pedestrian. Yeah. Yeah. How provincial. 
<laughs> so quaint. Um, uh, no, it's the, it's the uh, complete inverse. Uh, also, you are giving the performance and yeah, other people are talking shit, but you're still like the center of attention right now. And so when you pull this maneuver, which sorry, the name of the little Kiki, when you pull this maneuver that Kiki kind of comes and adds the, the flair that you really needed for this performance, the entire crowd erupts and it's drinks splashing as they cheers each other. And though at first these individuals at this table were kind of lukewarm about the whole thing, the rowdiness around them, almost a peer pressuring like effect and just like also brings them into really being invested in this. The, the conversations they're having is temporarily completely by the wayside as they're invested in this performance. And presumably you continue and Kiki does some wonderful things. And when the hat comes around, it's, I'm gonna say one a piece, which is still like still one gold piece, so five. Sure, I could get my sword polished with that. Yeah, a couple times, so to speak. <laughs> you could get all your swords polished. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, wonderful. You continue. You continue to to dance, and Kiki presumably goes back. Yeah, she's she's just a. That yeah, little something extra. You continue to dance, and perhaps you float over to Jolie. Who is sitting at the bar with my wife? <laughs> I did not mean to do that. My like wife. That's weird. It's almost as though Eli will always refer to her character's wife in a Borat voice. <laughs> with my wife. Well, like in terms of drinking, Jolie is not like a heavy drinker. She's like, I'm going to sip this and enjoy it. And Diane is the opposite. Like, I'm going to chug this and throw up. Um, and they're celebrating, so they're having a nice wine because I think I think they make like really good products, but sometimes Jolie's attitude towards selling dissuades people from buying. Mm -hmm. So like being able to sell through Tulip is huge. It's like I'm getting a lot of money now and I probably won't get as much as these two on the road later. Mm. So Sylvie coming over. There's like about a drink left in the this like very nice bottle that they're sharing and diet like i think jolie puts like a little flower in the bottle and diane puts it on the plate sylvie uh how well i guess diane does diane travel a lot you're saying she's kind of in and out yeah um sylvie uh is definitely and i've, I've talked about this she's like she's very surface level she's like very charming and sort of like friendly but it's it's on it's a surface fake. level, it's fake. So she'll she'll uh, grin and give Diane a mischievous, very flirtatious wink and um, take the flower out of the bottle, tuck it in her hair and say, there's nothing I love more than a flower from a pretty lady and take a big swig from the bottle. Is she happy that she got nice wine instead of money? Or is she like, I wanted fucking money um, on the inside? Yeah, no, she she loves uh, like Jolie. She loves like earthly pleasures and um, she gratefully drinks this delicious wine. Um, she got her money from the dance. So that's already uh, a big win for her. Probably as soon as she like feels like she's performed enough, it's just drinking and partying for the rest of the night. True. Diane is actually um, a bit more somber than perhaps Jolie is used to tonight. Okay. Uh, on a night that is typically again, reserved for more positive demeanors. And this is something that she hasn't broached yet, but I mean, you being partners is something that I presume that you can pretty intuitively pick up on. Mm -hmm. um, they're sitting, I think, like at, at the bar bar, not at mm -hmm. a table. 
Um, and Jolie puts uh, her hand on the small of her wife's back and says, What's the matter, Wildflower? This is usually your uh, your night to shine. Yeah. Yeah, no, you're 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 right. Um You're right. Jolie gives her a look. Just gives her a look because Diane's a talker, and if I just like leave the space in the conversation open, she will fill it. I'm just looking expectantly. I just don't really know how to <laughs> say it because it's kind of silly. Um I was talking to some of the some people at port today. We know that storms are around all the time, but um, a, a, a concerning number of them are saying that this is the last time we'll have a year like this. Or <laughs> yeah, we've kind of talked about. I guess this is the calamity like a thing that it has not been like a, an actual presence for since it was mentioned by these dwarves like hundreds of years ago. Okay, so it's like foretold, but not really, it's not like pressing right now. Yeah, and some people like, you know, still believe in that or whatnot, yeah, but, but, many don't. but many also don't. Yeah. We weren't born in Soleil, and by no means do we have to die in Soleil, but, you know, people are talking about uh, the end of the world all the time, and not just all the time, but everywhere. I mean... All we can really do is uh, ride out that storm, right? She stares hard at the tabletop in front of her. She's not really looking you in the eyes. And she says, ah, it's different this time, Julie. It's, it was some sailors that I've talked to year upon year and, you know, good, good folk, trustworthy folk that, that I've known for a while. And they're all saying the same thing. They're all talking about some great storm, larger than anything that we've ever seen. And it's, it's, they're talking like it's already over. They've 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 lost a ton of people. I, I I've just it was the things that they were describing were just nothing short of total destruction. I'm just scared, and so it's kind of hard to just be <laughs> having fun when I think everyone here is just living in ignorance. I don't really take stock in the words of some drunken sailors. And I am more the type, as you know, to just ride it out and, you know, see what happens. Um, I think, you know, we could die here and we could die somewhere else, but I can see a look in your eyes that I have to admit I've only seen twice before. Um, and it's been a long time, so, you know, my love, if you want to go somewhere else or try something else, do something else, then obviously I will be with you because you are my roots. Uh, she palms your hand and gives you a smile, now looking you in the eye. And she goes, yeah, you got a point. Maybe I'm just, maybe I'm just overreacting. Maybe what I need is one more. Well, we might be putting a pin in it, but I'm not uh, saying no by any means. Let's let's talk about it when you're in a different state. And um, for now, let's have a nice night, even if it's the last one. 
especially if it's the last one. Sounds great. We shift over. Well, perhaps, Jory, do you spend next to them at the bar? That's all. So we literally shift over. Yeah. What did you say about the end of the world? <laughs> Can I come with my daughters? <laughs> Where are your daughters right now? Do they come? Uh, they did. I was thinking about this, actually. Uh, fakes. Nice. Great dad. <laughs> they're 17. That's legal in some provinces and other countries. countries. But they are. This is the underage drinking podcast, I think, canonically. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Why? It is cool. Uh, because it's cool. Smoking. And oh, we love to smoke. Cool. We love to mm. give teens alcohol. Um, but Zeke does not love to give teens alcohol because he is a nerd and a narc. Um, and that is his character. That's his description. Nerd and narc. Level one narc nerd. Yeah. <laughs> so I think this is the first year the girls have convinced him to let them come. Zeke doesn't like this party. He's only here because it's good for business. He is handing out little metal noisemakers to people uh, that have like his address on it as like a little like business card, essentially. And he's his daughters who every year really want to come finally convinced him, oh, well, we can get more out if you let us come. We're, we're, we're basically adults now. Like there's nothing there that we, that we'll like see or do that. Like we wouldn't go do on our own. Wouldn't you rather us do it under your supervision, (laughs) dad? Um, stuff like that. So, uh, he's really stressed out. He is trying to hand out his, um, cards, but he is constantly looking around to see what his daughters are getting up to making sure that they are staying on uh on task and not getting into any nonsense if he sees one of them get too close to sylvie he is like absolutely not you are going over here i'm swimming in disease (laughs) (laughs) well while you're trying to be diligent you're interrupted by a rather tall uh elf that comes up to you kind of meekly he's holding a ornate uh and clearly old spyglass and he comes up to you and says um hello um my name is Rodolo. um i was pointed in a direction by some people in town uh for your expertise um i know this may be a long shot i was wondering if you'd be able to i don't know do anything about this well, let me take a look. What's wrong with this? Uh, that's the thing. I don't really know. It's something of an heirloom. It has a lot of sentimental value. Not much practical use for me these days, but I consider it a good luck charm. I want to take a look at it and see if I can identify the issue. Um, yeah, sure. Roll for, uh, what would this be? It's like examining an item. Let's do that. Let's do investigation. 13. It's not your first time seeing a spyglass like this, um, especially with frequent sailors coming by. There may be things that you look at from time to time, but this one, the glass elements inside are a bit more intricate and different. It probably uses different um, uh, telescopic length that you're unfamiliar with. So you have perhaps some degree of confidence that you could fix it based off your previous experience. However, you also know that you're getting a little bit into uncharted territory. Mm -hmm. uh, If you were to like promise to be able to fix it. Well, this is a very, uh, a beautiful piece of work. Um, I can tell that is someone very skilled 
uh, made this. I believe I can fix it, but I will need some time to do so to identify the issue, especially um, my expertise is metal, not with glass. Leave it with me and I'll be able to help you. Can I ask, um, you said this was a sentimental value. How old is this? Some three, four hundred years. That's a very, very precious. I will make sure to treat it with the utmost care and bring it back to you in pristine condition. I, I understand that it's a tall order um, and I'm willing to pay accordingly. Um, I just would need it before we leave in two months time. In two months? Absolutely. Uh, since I'm unfamiliar with this, I'll ask for maybe a quarter of the pay up front and then the rest upon delivery. Uh, what's a lot of money? Can I say 60 total with a quarter up front? I mean, you can say whatever you want. I know, but I don't want it to. I, I'm trying to figure out what's reasonable. If I'm going to if like 10 was reasonable for. I would say like 25 to 30. Yeah. He's lowballing you. Go higher. I'll do 40. <laughs> nice. So you tell him what that 40 total and you'll need, you're just doing business. And you're like, I'll need the advance. I need the, I need the, yeah. I need down, I need some collateral. If what I've heard is true, I have no doubt that you are worth that and more. But, um, the thing of it is I don't actually get paid out until my, I I'm contracted to deliver the passengers here. And my contract isn't up until the day we actually go to leave. Um, so I'm rather <laughs> broke, uh, right now, but I can, I can promise you payment. They're not going to pay him for two months. Mm -hmm. It's more, he's just like room and board. You can't eat a promise. I don't think I'm going to do it, take it for free. So I think I'm going to say like, I'll reduce the upfront cost from 10 to five, just a little something so that... He's saying he'll pay you the full amount. I know, but eventually, and I have daughters to feed now. Oh, he has no money to give you right now. He has nothing. He yeah. has... Bro. This is scam, bro. Yeah, I know. You're being scam. I, I can't... Um, <laughs> Scammers, bro. I, I think I tell him, like, I have... Uh, I am so, Look, he's got a new NFT drop coming. Like, it's oh going to pop God. off. It'll be rich. It's a sure thing. <laughs> You're going to tell him... I, I don't think I can um, do business without an upfront thing. I think that's that's not uh, the way that it works. I don't know you. I'm sure that you're. Uh, what if you uh, What if you keep the spyglass as collateral? Oh, we need money now. Is the whole point? Okay, so I, I'll say to him. Um, unfortunately, I can't take this for free. I have a family to feed. Um, what can you offer me instead before you get your payment? I have nothing else to offer you. He's got nothing for me. This guy didn't really think this all the way through, Mr. Rodolo. <laughs> he has nothing? He has nothing. Um, however, your conversation is interrupted. Okay. By an individual barging in, uh, half in stupor, of course, going, Oh my God. Oh my God, it's you. <laughs> oh my God, this is... Oh my God, Rodolo. Oh my God. I heard you were coming and I thought you were, but sir, I, I, I've wanted to be like you since I was a little boy. I, I, um, I'm sorry. Can I buy you a drink? Please. Two drinks. Just, just please come sit at our table for the night. Please. I want it for you. Please. I, I would, I would, I would love your company. 
And he turns and he says, <laughs> That's part of the scam. I have no way to pay you. But. <laughs> <laughs> he turns and he says, um, Well, <laughs> my company seems to be in high demand. He kind of like does like a, a little bit of a smirk to you. He turns back to this a younger man and says, I'll tell you what, I would be happy to spend the night with you and your friends. Could I borrow five gold? <laughs> That's what I wanted. That's exactly what I was going to ask. And he reaches into his pockets and sees the, the young man's like so nervous and he drops it all over the ground and he's struggling on the ground and spills a bit of his drink and gets all the gold together and shakily hands it to Rodolo who takes it from his hand and gently places it into yours. All right, sir. Um, weird, but we got a deal. Uh, I will do my best to make sure I can repair your spyglass before you leave. And upon its delivery, you will owe me 35 gold pieces. <laughs> okay. Thank you, Zeke. And he goes with the young gent to the table um, and grabs a seat. This was... Again, the first nights of the Coastal Eclipse are always a big event, and I think that this one in spades um, has delivered. Um, tonight was, other than what transpired with you guys, rather uneventful in a good way. It's a very peaceful and loving night in Soleil. So we're going to do this thing uh, that's called uh, Flash Forward. What is that? Uh, it's where you... Like the Flash from Marvel? Uh, kind of, because he can kind of do this, because he can, I think, run through the time-space... When Superman goes and flies around the world so yeah, fast, so it's we're doing it forward. <laughs> okay. We're flashing forward, okay? Okay. Um, what are we doing? We're flashing forward. This is why we're traveling, it's two episodes. We're traveling forward in time. Unlistenable. Two months. <laughs> two months? Oh. Which, which is, would be what? It's the day the I get 35 gold pieces. It's the end of the eclipse. Okay. Well, what we're going to do is um, everyone is going to roll. Um, this won't be like a permanent thing. Uh, usually when you're bartering, it'll be persuasion and stuff. But this is just kind of going to be like a catch all roll of like, how well did business go? So everyone's going to roll a <laughs> D20. Can I roll it again? I did bad. No, that's what makes it fun. 14. I rolled a 16 on my D20. Nine. Jesse can get 10. Gold pieces? Gold pieces, GPs. Uh, Eli, you got a what? 14. Six? Two off from Jesse and I get three yes. less? I'm sorry. Less? Uh, you actually get four GP. That's how, that's how I run this. <laughs> I made twice in two months of work what I made in one night of dancing at Tulips. <laughs> Close to the cliffs, baby. When it rains, it pours. Mm -hmm. um, Andrew, you got a nine. But he does owe me 35 gold pieces. He does. Um, however, I'm going to say that, and you even said this into the start of this, that, you know, you're, there's not always the biggest demand for your work. I actually think you, uh, for standard business, you're taking a, your eating cost. So I'm going to say... Not a lot, like minus four. But but wow, get farther. Yeah. <laughs> this in this time of these two months towards the end here of the coastal eclipse, uh, that crazy those crazy storms they start to uh, often pick back up. <laughs>
Um, they're not like, it's not like a, always a perpetual thing. It's not like a forever storm, but it is like, usually you can all tell, you can feel it in your knees when uh, it's time to flee Soleil and when these sailors and everyone that's arrived at port is going to take that window of opportunity to leave. They don't usually stay till it's, you know, as soon as they're starting to show signs, they don't usually risk it too much. They get out of there. So when I say it's like the day before, it is like an arbitrary amount of time. It's more so they're just like, all right, it's starting like, you know, it's roughly two months and then they usually will leave. Some people leave earlier than that. Some people leave a bit later than that. Does like Soleil suck or is it just like the waters around it are impassable? Like the town is still like an okay place to be. It's okay, like it's wet and it like rains fairly often. Sure. But, but other than that, no, like it's it's quite in the distance. It's like literally it's enveloped. Right. We're coming towards the end of the coastal eclipse. Um, the jovial, upbeat nature that's usually indicative of the start of the coastal eclipse largely starts to subside as both excitement of the event starts to die out coinciding with the weather worsening it just kind of creates a bit more of a somber tone and tonight it is a silent night the rain that has fallen for ceaseless days has come to a peaceful drizzle boisterous shouting matches have been replaced by intimate and hushed whispers it is the breed of night that secrets are made a night of confessions a night so quiet it deafens you and weighs heavy on your shoulder. In this night, a now familiar man sits alone at the edge of the docks. He looks to you, Zeke, then back at the water. The very personification of this night itself. Rodolo sits at the docks. You hold his spyglass. Thank you for listening to an all new season of Many Realms. This was the first episode of our new D&D 5e campaign, The Many Merchants of Maloon. If you want to hear more, you can, of course, subscribe to our podcast. You can learn more about us by following us on Twitter or Instagram at The Realms Cast. Or if you want to support us financially, you can follow us on patreon.com slash many realms. Thank you so much for joining us and we'll see you next time.